We are in a vision series thinking about who we are as a community on earth as it is in heaven, in the sunset corridor as it is in heaven. What does it mean to answer Jesus' prayer? He told his disciples to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done here and now as it already is in the space where God lives. We're trying to figure that out. And last week we said that as a, a group of leaders, we're trying to discern what's the teeth to that? How do we get a hold of that? How do we live that out? And this phrase that we shared last week, I want to put it up on the screen. Again, we believe that as a community, we're called to help people experience life in Jesus. That's what it means for God's kingdom to come. It is will be done on the sunset corridor as it is in heaven. It means that people are, are experience the life, experiencing the life of God, experiencing life in Jesus. And so for me to be a part of of doing God's will is I want to, we want to help people. Church is not about just this and rows and food and music and goodbyes. It is about people. The whole thing that we're experiencing is about people. To be a part of a church is not to be a part of a building. It is to be a part of a people. And so we want to together help each other experience life in Jesus and then spread that message to help others experience life in Jesus. So last week we talked from Luke 10 about what it means to help people and the story of the Good Samaritan. And last week, if you missed it, it was really simple. Uh, Jesus is asked, who's my neighbor? Who am I supposed to help? Says the Jewish leader. And Jesus says, you missed the plot line. It's not about who you help or you don't help. It's not about figuring out who am I going to invest in and who am I going to avoid. It is about being the neighbor. God wants to produce neighborliness in me. He wants to reorient the way I see the world that I am available and can be used by God to stop. To be a neighbor means to stop and to help and to see the need and be there. So we want to be that people. So last week we ended with this question. What do I need to do? What do we need to do to reorient our lives so that we could put ourselves in a position that we can help people? How do we create margin? So I asked you, consider this week a week of prayer that you would ask God. The selfish part of seven for us is that we're asking God to help us to reorient our thinking and our lifestyle so that we have margin for people. And out of that, we want people to experience life in Jesus. So this, this morning, we want to consider the second part of that phrase. Last week was help people, and this week is experience life. What are we trying to do? Do we just want to make the world a better place? I think that's kind of okay as a goal. Do we want people to have a better day and, and a nice experience? Yeah, sure. But what does it mean for us to help people experience real life, like deep Life, life the way God intended, we see it in this encounter in John chapter 4. So let's read it. It's long, and we want to think about the opportunities that God might give us in response to this week's prayer. I'm asking you, pray this week that God would heighten your awareness to the opportunities he wants you to have. But before we engage those, let's see how Jesus did it. Uh, John chapter 4, and we'll start in verse, uh, start in verse Four. Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down, down by the well, and it was about noon. So Jesus is walking. He's traveling between Galilee and Jerusalem often. 
He goes through this town. It's hot. Middle East, noon, ouch. And he's by a well while the friends go in to buy food. Verse 7. Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus says to her, Will you give me a drink? And then John gives us, for those of us who don't understand how weird this is, a little parenthesis. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. So why are they leaving Jesus alone? Because they're getting a meal. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John gives another little cultural help. For Jews don't associate or they don't use the same drinking bowls. They don't touch the same things as Samaritans. So there's a cultural thing at play which some of us don't get. Verse 10, Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is teasing her a bit. Hey, there's something more than what's going on right here. And if you knew, you would have asked. You would have been given. It's almost as if she's missed it, right? So he throws out a hook. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. She, she gets literal, like, what are you talking about, water? You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Living water for them, just so you're wondering, this isn't like a spiritual phrase. Running water would be the same thing. It's a well. It's kind of still water, but there's like, there is a water that's fresh. There's a water that runs, right? So you don't even have a, a bucket. You have no ability to help me out, um, Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, the, like the well water, will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is moving this conversation along. Guy and a girl at a well, what do you talk about? You talk about water, but Jesus is pushing for something more. Um, verse 15 again, the woman said, Give me this water so I don't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, okay, go call your husband and come back. So now Jesus is able to shift this conversation beyond the obvious. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have isn't your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Busted. Like, you know. This is like, a, you know, ordinary, you're going to the coffee shop, you're going to the supermarket, you're going to whatever, and you, you bump into someone, and then this man reads her mail. Yeah, you can't get your husband because obviously living water, something that will quench, there's something going on that's not satisfying. So Jesus is subtly able to shift the conversation. I wish I was as good at, as Jesus. So, sir... The woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Okay, busted. Our sense, but then she has a trouble, verse 20. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So we don't agree about this whole prophet thing. We don't agree about this whole religion thing. I don't know if you have wisdom for me because you worship there, we worship here. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father. Look at how positive Jesus is. When you will worship the Father. He grabs this point of agreement. 
They don't worship at the same place. They don't see life the same way. But oh, something's coming. There's going to be a time where you're going to worship. Neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So it's not about here and it's not about there. It's not about Jewish worship. It's not about Samaritan worship. There's something bigger. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. And I'll get into what she didn't know in a bit. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. God has been speaking to a group of people and you've ignored part of it. Yet a time is coming and has now, and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. So Jesus lays it out, and then she responds. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus gives a sneak peek. Jesus declared, um, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Uh, the reason I want to read this story is because it, in one level, it's just so natural. It's... it's um, it's so ordinary. It's a couple of people who meet and they didn't expect it and it goes somewhere and it speaks to the thought of what does it mean for us to help people experience life? No, the goal is not just to make everyone's world a better place. That is important. I want people to do better. We want people to go higher. We want self-improvement. All of that is valid and good. But that does not fully satisfy what Jesus talks about is an experience from within. There can be life. She can worship the Father. Even though she's far, she can worship the Father in spirit and in truth. She can experience life as God intended. She can worship in the full way. And that's what it means for us to help people experience life in Jesus, is that we're gonna be agents that God is gonna use, just like his own son, Jesus, to take people who are far off and help them to see how great and how good he is. And so this year, we want to, as a community, be used by God in small, mundane, ordinary ways, and maybe on occasion in some dramatic ways, so that people that we bump into and we know or don't know get a bit more of who Jesus is in their world. And when that happens, I want to suggest God's kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Sunset, Corridor, Hillsboro, Beaverton, wherever you're from, is a changed place when people are transformed by Jesus himself. So that's what it means for us to help people experience life. Now, how do we step into these opportunities. Because when you read Jesus, you think, yeah, okay, son of God, he's got it all together. How can we walk in the pattern of Jesus and as his disciples find ourselves more and more open and useful to God in the everyday of life? We're going to have to figure out what to do with opportunities. Do you know, I want to suggest to you, you have more opportunities to help people than you realize. You have more opportunities to help people experience the life of God than you realize. I am the challenge, not Jesus. Jesus is providing his children opportunities, but sometimes I'm not attuned to it. Sometimes I'm not open to it. Sometimes I am distracted from it. And so as we pray this week, we're asking God to do a movement in us so that we'll be ready to help people 
experience the life that we're experiencing in him. So I want to talk this morning briefly about opportunities. And there are four things about opportunities I want you to write down and consider. So as we, we're going to end the gathering by starting seven. We're going to pray together in a bit after I finish. We're going to get in groups. We're going to pray one for another. We're going to ask God to give us specific things to pray about. We're going to write them down we're going to take communion together. We're going to go to the bread and the cup. And we're going to say, living Jesus who lives in us. We're inviting you in our circle with our group of people we know and don't know. We want this to happen. And so we're not just going to talk about it. We're going to do it this morning. But we need to deal with opportunities. And four things I want you to think about right here from the text, considering the opportunities Jesus wants to bring your way. Number one, opportunities are often unplanned. Do you notice what happens? Jesus is actually going back to Galilee from Jerusalem. He is not planning to hang out in Sychar in Samaria. As a matter of fact, for Jewish rabbis, this is the least likely place. This isn't the place where Jesus should stop, should be. But in life, don't you find that sometimes the most unique and big opportunities happen when you didn't plan them? Like the gathering is planned. We think this through. We plan it out. But it's the conversations that happen afterwards. It's when you're walking out, you bump into someone, and you start to talk, and you say, hey, let's grab coffee sometime, or let's get together. Or if you have kids, let's let them play so we can talk and have like mom time, you know. And, and, and out of that, out of the unplanned, the things you don't expect, great things happen. And that's what we see in the story. Disciples go off to get food, and Jesus is alone and he's presented with opportunity. What I want to say is, if we want God to use us, we need to be open to interruptions, right? We can't live so stiff and so regimented and so caught in the what we have to do. We're going to have to ask God to help us to break the cycle of habitual planning to the point where we don't leave room for people. Now, I'm a planner. How many of you planners out there? Like, I got a day, I got a plan. I think about the tomorrow, today, I, at night, look about tomorrow, and I start thinking about it, and all that is well and good. And I'm, I'm pro-planning, but Jesus allows himself to be interrupted, and he allows his Father to work through him. And so that's part of being the answer to prayer, is letting God nudge us and open up doors we weren't expecting. The second thing about opportunities is opportunities are often inconvenient. And that's exactly what we see. Jesus is already tired. He's already been doing stuff. He's been teaching. He's been traveling. And don't, doesn't he just deserve a break? But it's often when we're least expecting it, when we least feel prepared for it, that the Spirit of God opens up the chance for you and I to serve so, so he, what, is, what does the Father give Jesus? He, he gives Jesus what is a very awkward situation. And sometimes he's saying, well, I want to be used by God. And wouldn't it be convenient if I'm a teenager, if God gave me another teenager who's in my class, we have a lot in common, and so we already have that natural thing. And, and those are the types of people that I can be used by God to serve. Jesus blows the box out of the water here, Right? Now, it's cool if you already have a connection and you're a pilot and you talk about that, that that's great. But look, look, look at the opposite extremes here. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi, and this is a Samaritan woman. They have absolutely nothing in common. Their Bibles are different. Many of the people that were going to be used by God to help experience life, they don't read from the same playbook. Uh, the Samaritans, they believed only in the first five books of Moses, the, 
the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, they didn't, they didn't hold as sacred the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So the Psalms from David and all the prophetic writings, that's why later on Jesus corrects her and says, salvation is from the Jews. God has been speaking to people and you've been ignoring God a long time. So they're not reading from the same Bible. So Jesus is gonna have to share truth with her on her terms, right? And, and isn't that like exactly what we need to do? Most people aren't big on the Bible. Can we just agree on that? They're not waking up in the morning thinking, wow, what's in the good book? You know, people aren't thinking about these pages. They're thinking about their own pages. But Jesus subtly, if we had time this morning, we'd delve into the nuances. We don't. But, but he subtly is able to speak to her where she is at. So they're not reading from the same playbook. They don't worship in the same way. You notice she is worshiping on this mountain up in her region. Now, why did this happen? The Jews worship at the temple in Jerusalem. It's because they held to the five books. And where did Moses get the five books? It was in Samaria. It was in their region. So 400 years before Jesus, the Samaritans built a, a place of worship at the place where God had spoken to Moses. They felt, according to what they believed, this is the right way to worship, but they missed out on David and how God nudged David out of heart for God and wanted to build a place of worship that ends up being in the city of David in Jerusalem. So God was meeting with his people at the temple in Jerusalem, but because their books were different, their worship was different. And so we can't expect that people are going to worship in the way that we worship, but we want to get to where they're at. And so nowhere does Jesus push her aside, right? Jesus is interrupted, and Jesus, in a very inconvenient time, in a very inconvenient way, takes the time to move her along. And he doesn't talk about their differences. He talks about what they have in common. It's hot. Give me a drink, you know. It starts with the simple and in building that bridge, it moves from water to, yeah, this is water, but oh, there's something more that satisfies. He already knows her story. He could already sense there's something. Why does he know? Is it because God speaks and, and the Father tells uh, Jesus? Because he doesn't know it all. Yes, he is God. But on planet Earth, he is a man. And he comes as a man, fully God, fully man. Does Jesus know everything about everything as he's walking as a man? Absolutely not. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and understanding. Jesus grew. So it could be that the Spirit of God spoke to him because Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, did the miraculous. So just like you have the Holy Spirit if you've chosen to follow Jesus, Jesus has the Spirit. The Spirit of God, I'm here to suggest to you, is able to give you what you need when you need it. Isn't that encouraging? You and I, just exactly like Jesus. Okay, we sin, that's another issue. But, but exactly like Jesus, have access to the Spirit of God that could speak to us. Do you know that when you encounter someone that you don't know well, as you're talking, God can guide your conversation? And you don't even have to be aware that he's guiding you. He can do that in our world. So Jesus is able to move it. He's He's allowing himself to be interrupted. It's inconvenient. They have a different Bible. They have a different way of worship. And then there's the male-female thing. Culturally, you still see it in the Middle East. Uh, Middle Eastern men are not going to speak to women alone. And Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. He shouldn't be speaking to the woman. I'm going to read you just a, a little quote. If you want to talk about animosity, this is what Jewish men, the famous quote, Jewish men felt about Samaritan women. Quote, 
The daughters of the Samaritans are menstruants from the cradle and therefore perpetually in the state of ceremonial uncleanness. I'll let you figure it out. Middle schoolers, talk to your parents afterwards. Um, <laughs> there was nothing good about Samaritan women. The Jewish men did not believe there was anything good and salvageable about these wrong religious, inferior people. But Jesus is in no way judging her. He's drawing her in and leading her on. And Jesus is pointing her to her deepest need. And so it starts as a small thing about an ordinary thing, moves beyond that, and he's able to pull her along. Jesus is able to do the question and answer. He's kind of teasing her about the living water. And when she asks these questions, Jesus is able to subtly talk about worship in the way God intended. And so, yeah, our setting is different and our conversation is not going to look like this. But I wanted to read it to remind you that because you and I have the Spirit of God, we can help people who are far from him, least likely candidates to experience the life of Jesus. And we could be used just because we're there to pull people along. And maybe they don't know. She didn't know about the differences between Jerusalem worship and Samaritan worship. She didn't understand about the prophetic writings and the things that God had said to his people that she had never heard before because it wasn't in her book. But Jesus is able to correct her lovingly and talk about God's plan, which was that she would worship the Father, not necessarily on that mountain or this mountain, the mountain of Jerusalem, but in spirit, by the Spirit of God and in truth. Uh, she was invited into the story. She was invited into the life of God. Now, none of the disciples of Jesus believe this because if you keep reading, which we will in a minute, none of them are prepared for this woman to be a candidate of the life of God. But as we pray this week, we need to pray that God would help us to see people with new lenses. That when we interact with people every day, you know, you see someone, whether you're at Intel and you're, you're working with a group of engineers and they're from another country and they have a completely different worldview and Jesus doesn't factor into anything and the scriptures don't mean anything. And sometimes we just check that out and say, well, Eh, that person's a little too hard, or it's going to take a little too long, or I don't know if God can break through. Well, whatever your extreme impossible situation is, in this text, this is the extreme impossible. So Jesus is matched up against the least likely person to be a candidate for the kingdom of God, but Jesus sees what the Father already knows, that she's invited to the party, she's invited in, and Jesus leads her along. Uh, finally, uh, actually, let me say the third thing, um, is opportunities require wisdom. So opportunities, um, they're often unplanned, they're often inconvenient, and they, they require wisdom. And that's what we've been talking about, how Jesus is able to finesse the situation. He's able at the right time to push it beyond water to the own problem. Uh, bring your husband. Hook. Let's talk about this together. Uh, I don't have one. And he's able to to lovingly expose the brokenness on the inside and not judge in a negative way. You're right, you've had five, the one you're with is not, which in their culture was absolutely ridiculous for her to have this kind of relational brokenness. But he doesn't push her away. He, he pushes back to the gift of God, the gift of God, the gift of God. You can worship. And so we're gonna need wisdom from the Spirit of God on how to build that bridge from where people are to the truth of God. 
So I can't tell you how to do that, but I am here to suggest to you that the Spirit of God is wise. And if you will make yourself open to God's leading when you need it, here's, here's the trick, you will not have it before you need it. Isn't that true? You won't have all that you need from the Spirit of God because he's looking for a people who are dependent on him. But when you do need it, God's Spirit will be with you to guide you in those conversations. Finally, the fourth thing is opportunities require teamwork. This is a one-on-one -on -one encounter, but it actually isn't. Because I want us to keep reading, if you have your Bible still. John chapter 4, let's look at what happens when the disciples come back. So the disciples come back into the scene, and they're, they're wondering why Jesus is talking to the, to the woman. And verse, verse 31, we'll pick it up from there. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat you know nothing about. Then the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Verse 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life. And here, here's that, it takes teamwork part. So that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus is saying, one sows and another reaps. That's teamwork. One sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap, that's one part of the team, what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, that's another part of the team, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. And this is so encouraging. As we pray for a move of God across the Sunset Corridor and our city and beyond, we, we need to remember, we need to elevate our thinking to remember that my piece of whatever God wants to do is just one piece. And that if you want to see people's lives change for the good, experience life that comes from Jesus, you alone are not responsible for that. Take the guilt trip off. God is already at work. God was already at work in this woman's world before Jesus walks up and sits by the well. Somehow by the Spirit of God, she's being nudged because if you read the encounter, she's open to Jesus. She doesn't push Jesus away. Instead, she goes back to the town and says, come meet the man who told me everything about me. And then they beg Jesus, Jesus, will you stay? And Jesus interrupts his agenda and stays two more days in the region. And Jesus and the disciples around him are given an open door of opportunity. It is a team mission. If you want to see God use you, just know that you have a part to play, and it is a part of a broader team. And this is why we think so highly, this is a side, of community life. We think so highly that any church that follows the scriptures is a church that gathers together and scatters together. That we don't just try to follow Jesus alone. That we don't just try to seize opportunities alone. I need people in my life, in my world, that are shaping me. Do you know, if you invest your life in a community, we call them missional communities here, who cares about the name? If you invest your life, God will use the other people in your community to put stuff in you and chip some things out of you that will better prepare you to serve Jesus. 
We do community life because we need each other and we need those relationships now because you never know, you may be getting together on a Tuesday to have a dinner and you're talking about life. You never know when something that comes up in that setting might be useful on Wednesday when you go to work or you go to school or you're out and you bump into people. We need each other to shape each other so that we're used by God when he's ready to use us. Also, mission and reaching out towards people is a team sport. It's not just individual. So, so wouldn't it be great if you realize there's a few people in your world that God is nudging you to invest your life in because you want them to experience life in Jesus, wouldn't it be great if you had the support structure of another group of people who are praying with you and you get together for your family meal that you're praying for people by name? Wouldn't it be great if they have an issue or a question that you don't know that you could go to a group of people and they're helping you and researching you and, and maybe going together and meeting with that person this does not have to be an alone me and Jesus figure it out thing. He says to his disciples, I'm sending you to reap what you haven't even worked for. God has been working. And now you as a team, as you go out, Jesus sent people not one by one. He sent them what? Two by two. Why? I'm a New Yorker. People get mugged. Like, you know, it's a, it's a safety thing. It's a, it's a, he sends them out two by two, when the early churches were planted, it wasn't Paul planting a church, it was Paul and Barnabas. It's always helping people experience life, and Jesus is always a team thing. So as we pray, we're asking God, will you help me to be open, to be interrupted? Will you help me to, to be empowered when it's inconvenient? God, will you give me wisdom when I need it? I need wisdom for every single situation. I've been in circumstances talking to someone about Jesus stuff and found myself saying stuff that I didn't even know I knew. Maybe that hasn't happened to you yet. Verses I hadn't thought about in years suddenly come to mind, quotes out of nowhere, and I say, wow, I'm a genius. No. It's like, no, Holy Spirit of God, you are at work in them, and you're at work in me, and we've had this collision, and this is beautiful, and that's our prayer, is this year, we wouldn't just be nice people to be nice, but rather the Spirit of God will use us in small ways. Notice, it took a while for her to be open to this prophet, Jesus, and what happens for them in, in minutes, or maybe hours, maybe John summarizing, it may take you days, months, weeks, years. The point of the timing is irrelevant. God knows where they're at and God wants them to experience life in him and he wants to use us to point them to Jesus. And so that is our prayer. So what we're gonna do this morning is ask God to begin to use us, to open up new opportunities. What I want us to remember is helping people experience life in Jesus is something that we do together. Grab that. So maybe part of seven is being open to other people in this community. I thought you were saying, Jose, we want to be out there reaching people. Well, maybe part one, step one, is us being open to life with other believers in Jesus. 